So welcome to lesson three of the Holistic Massage Diploma course. Um, this is the lesson on the benefits and effects of massage and we're also going to cover contraindications. So to understand the benefits and effects of the massage you have to understand how the body responds to massage physiologically. You get two types of responses. Um, involving massage so you get the mechanical response so as a result of pressure and movement the soft tissues manipulated and this causes various effects on the um, bodily systems you also get a reflex response in which the nerves respond to the stimulation so you look at it in a twofold way so what I'm going to do is I'm going to run through each of the systems of the body and we're just going to look at the effects on that system so if we start with the skeletal system or the skeletal system, depending on how you pronounce it, massage can help increase joint mobility and it does this by it reduces the thickening of the connective tissue and helps release the restrictions of the fascia. So it helps release around the joint, so it gives the joint more mobility where it might, might the connective tissue might be holding the joint very tight by massaging you can help release that tightness around the joint so the joint will be freer to move. It helps free adhesions, it can break down scar tissue and it can decrease inflammation. As a result of these you will get increased mo motion in the joints in, and reduced stiffness from the joints. Massage will help also to improve the muscle tone and balance so it will reduce physical stress placed on the bones and the joints. So straight on from that we'll look at the muscular system. By massaging the body you're helping relieve muscle tightness, stiffness, spasms and restrictions in the muscle tissue. You're increasing the flexibility in the muscles due to the fact that they're relaxing. You're increasing the blood circulation, you're bringing more oxygen and nutrients into the muscle. So this helps the muscle work more effectively and it helps reduce muscle fatigue and soreness. By getting the oxygen and the nutrients in, it helps feed the muscle correctly. And by getting the oxygen and the nutrients in, you can get the toxins out faster. So it reduces the, the build-up of toxins. It makes for a more rapid removal of toxins and waste from around the muscle and from inside the muscle. So you're affecting the muscle. You're helping it work effectively. And one of the things I love to do when I'm, I'm teaching massage, especially with children, we do a hand massage and I get them to massage one hand or I massage one hand of a person and then I get them to compare the two hands and you can invariably see that the hand that's been massaged is much redder, it looks much more alive and people say that it feels much softer and much more floaty and if you place one hand against the other, the sort of palms together, invariably the massage the hand is slightly larger than uh, than the hand that hasn't been massaged because you're helping all the muscles lie out flat and relaxed so they then think there's some sort of magic involved in massage so we'll move next to the cardiovascular system as we've talked about you're improving the circulation 
you're mechanically assisting the venous flow of the blood back to the heart, which is why we use pressure to the heart. It's not such a setting stone. You must always use pressure to the heart and not away from it. But by using the pressure to the heart, you, ha you are helping the venous flow. You're dilating the blood vessels. You're helping them work more efficiently, more effectively. And by producing this enhanced blood flow, <coughs> excuse me, you're helping deliver fresh, fresh oxygen and nutrients to the tissue. You're taking away the waste products. You're taking away the carbon dioxide. You're hastening the venous flow. And you will get this temporary decrease in blood pressure, which will die. It's due to the dilation of the capillaries. You know, you don't need as much pressure to get through if things are open. You'll reduce the heart rate due to relaxation. And you'll reduce ischemia, which is a reduction of, in the blood flow to the body parts. Um, and this is often, you know, marked by pain and dis tissue dysfunction. If we move on to the lymphatic system, massage will help reduce edema excess fluid in the tissue it increases lymphatic drainage it helps get that waste out of the system it gets things moving the lymphatic system hasn't got any pumps in it it works alongside the circulatory system but it needs warmth and exercise to make it work so by using massage you are using movement in the body you are exercising those muscles you are getting them to squeeze at that lymphatic system and push it along. Massage will help strengthen the immune system. It will build up the white blood cells and it will strengthen the immune system. If people feel good about themselves, their immune system is boosted. You know, if we're bringing the body back into balance, it's easier for it to stay in balance. We'll look now at the nervous system. Um, you know, massage will stimulate the sensory receptors. They can either be stimulated or soothed. It depends on the massage you're using. I always say if you want a nice, if you want to be calm, you need slow, methodical massage. If you want to be uplifted, stimulated, you need fast massage strokes at a fast pace, you know, and you need to be putting a bit more pressure in. So how you massage the person very much determines whether you stimulate or soothe. So if you want a relaxing massage but you've only got 10 minutes, you only do one slow repetition of each movement. If you want an invigorating massage and you've got 10 minutes, you do four fast repetitions. Slow is calm, fast is stimulated. And that is the way to work with it. If you want to do something to soothe, to calm, then it needs to be nice and slow. So you're stimulating the parasympathetic nervous system. So you're helping promote relaxation. You're helping reduce stress in the body. You're helping the body let go of stresses. And of course you get a pain reduction because you get endorphins released. Endorphins will also elevate the mood. So, you know, as we've seen, massage has many different effects on the body. Effects on the skin, which I've just touched on. Um, 
you improve in the circulation of the skin, you get increased nutrition to the cells, you're encouraging cell regeneration. As I've just said about this hand massage, the hand that's been massaged always looks much healthier, much plumper, it's got a much nicer colour to it. So, you know, you're improving that look of the skin. You're increasing the production of sweat from the sweat glands, so you're helping excrete things like urea and waste products through the skin. You're getting a vasodilation of the surface capillaries, so you're helping this nice skin colour come out. You're improving the elasticity in the skin. This is sometimes quite important in older people to help create a good surface on the skin. So you've got nice elasticity, you've got a nice good circulation and blood flow to the skin. You're helping increase the sebum production as well. So you're improving the skin's suppleness and its resistance to infection. If you remember, the skin has got a slightly acid mantle and if it's in very good condition, it will help stop infection getting through the skin. If we move now to the respiratory system, massage will deepen respiration. It will improve lung capacity by relaxing the tightness in the respiratory muscles. It will help the mus you relax and it will help the lungs relax and then proper breathing can take place. Most people only breathe with the top third of their lungs. They're not actually using the bottom capacity of their lungs at all because they're breathing too fast and too shallow. When massage is performed, people go into a state of relaxation. This causes everything to relax and the breathing becomes deeper. It slows down the respiration rate and you've got a reduced stimulation of the sympathetic nervous system as well during this phase. If we look towards the digestive system, massage can help increase peristalsis in the large intestine. So it can help relieve constipation, colic and gas. It's very good for things like irritable bowel syndrome, providing people can have their stomach massage because some people can't, they're too tender. You can help calm the area down from the outside. You know, a nice gentle massage, nice calming gentle massage can calm the digestive system. And because you're promoting the activity of the parasympathetic nervous system, this will stimulate digestion. So you're starting to get the digestive system working properly things moving through the digestive system properly so that the proper nutrients can be taken from the food that we've eaten. And then if we look at the urinary system, you will get an increase in urinary output through massage. What's happening is you're increasing the circulation, you're helping the lymph drain from the tissues, so you're promoting more liquid in the system. So this has got to come out somewhere. And you also need to encourage people to drink after they've had a massage because it helps lift the toxins and get them out through the urinary system. And it helps reduce toxins away in the body um, and get them out of the system, flush the system out. And that's what you have to do after a massage. You have to flush the toxins out of the system. If we just look briefly at physiological effects of the massage, it can help reduce stress and anxiety. It can calm the mind and the body. It can create a nice, safe place to relax. It can create a feeling of well-being, enhance self-esteem, and promote positive body awareness and improve body image through relaxation. 
and you can help ease emotional trauma. There are lots and lots of physiological effects um, that you can get. Sometimes they're very slight, other times they're quite um, dramatic. So I think we've covered the benefits now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to you about the contraindications. When not to massage. This is all about working within your limits and your own personal and professional boundaries. While you're doing a consultation for your client, if they come up with some condition that you don't know anything about, it is quite acceptable for you to use reference books or the internet to go and find information about that treatment. Information about what's happening to them and where you know their body is in the state of wellness you need to understand what's happening in the body to make it safe effective and ethical the other you know when we look at contraindications it's a factor or an activity that may increase the risk to the person's health or well-being if the treatment is carried out this is why we need to take a very thorough consultation and you need to talk to your clients. Some people aren't very good at giving information, but you know, you'll learn through the face-to-face -face massage course about asking questions, about getting people to tell you things and listening for what they're saying in their voice or if they're making a comment about not anymore. You know, you need to be following things like that up. If at any point you're unsure whether you should treat the person, then you need to be looking at referring on. So whether you're sending them to a doctor or a specialist to get their permission. That's the thing. Um, you know, there are contraindications can change with some people. An example I always give when I'm teaching about contraindication is I go through and I say, have you any history of um, embolisms, clots, any thrombosis. Now, I had a lady some years ago come for an Indian head massage and she said, yes, I had a clot. So really, she was a contraindication. But when I talked to her about the clot, it turned out that she'd had a motorbike accident when she was in her, her teens. And she'd been taken into hospital and been unconscious for quite a few days and what had happened was when she'd come round and they'd sat her up they hadn't realised that there was a clot in her lung as a result of the accident and this had started to move they'd realised obviously what was happening quite quickly and they'd treated the clot and she'd made a full recovery so my contraindication of a clot became something that I could actually treat because I'd investigated the clot and what it was about it wasn't going to happen again because she was now in her 40s so 20 years had elapsed from her last having the clot and she'd had no further clots and if you look at it the clot was a result of the motorbike accident so she wouldn't had she not had the motorbike accident she wouldn't have had the clot so you know you need to if you've got something that's presenting as a contraindication work back with it and think why did it happen is it going to happen again? Is it going to affect the treatment? So total 
Contraindications include things like heart disease. I had one gentleman come and he got a list of medications as long as your arm and he'd had various heart operations. So he was a definite, I'm sorry, I can't do you. Uh, anything infectious, uh, infectious diseases, things like colds, you know, they don't do them. If you've got people that are reporting they've been sick or they've had diarrhea in the last 24 hours, then you're not going to do them because what you're going to do is you're going to upset the body that you're working on and you risk catching it yourself so partial contraindications include things like high or low blood pressure now if a client's treated for the condition and it's properly medicated then really i don't have a problem with that same as diabetes if it's properly medicated and they are stable then that is fine Another one is things like epilepsy. Not everybody is happy about treating people with epilepsy. I haven't had a client with epilepsy for some time. I do occasionally come across children in the schools that I work with that have epilepsy. Most of the time we get permission from the doctor, permission from the parents if I'm work working in the schools with them. And I also always treat them on the floor because if they go into a fit, they're in a safe place. They're not going to fall anywhere. Even if I'm only doing hand massage, we have them lying on the floor because they're not going to fall anywhere. So it's looking at ways of dealing with contraindications as well. Obviously, if you've got somebody with epilepsy, if they have got a driving license, then they haven't had a fit within the last year. So that's always a good guideline to look at. Cancer causes much, much discussion. A general guideline is gain permission from the specialist that's treating the person. Some oncologists are very pro alternative, well, not alternative therapies, but complementary therapies, and you know, looking at ways of enhancing the client's health while they're having the treatment. Alternative therapies for cancer tell you not to take the drugs and use another way. This is not what we are. We always work alongside, we are complementary. But cancer does cause a lot of debate and it is best to get the oncologist permission because as I say, some are pro and some are against. General guidelines that I use of if you've got any doubt in your mind about the treatment, don't do it. Either send the client away with a letter for their doctor or write to their GP or refer them to somebody that you think can treat them. It's always about having the knowledge and don't be frightened when you are treating somebody to use things to get the knowledge to make an informed decision of whether you treat them or not. It's also, if you can, if there's other therapists in your area, try and get to know them because even different therapists are, you know, I know reflexologists, I know physiotherapists, I know osteopaths, I know chiropractors in this area. If I get something I can't deal with, I can refer them on. And I know quite a lot of the doctors in the area that I work with as well. So, you know, if they get a letter from me, some of the practices know me. I've made inroads into Mekin, you know, sort of nice connections. 
But if there are other therapists, even aromatherapists, massage therapists, it's good to know because sometimes you can, you know, without uh, breaking confidentiality, talk to another therapist about how they treat, what they would do to treat. And it all builds good, solid information to, for you to work with. If you look in your notes, there is a great list of contraindications um, some are full and some are cautionary just go through them and think about would you treat them wouldn't you treat them how would you deal with it if you've got a presenting client that had got one of those conditions what would you say to them the other thing is to treat them and just be very open and say you know I have an issue because this is you know a contraindication we may be able to work around it we may be able to do something I always try and sort of include them and say, you know, would you like to go and see your doctor? Do you need me to write to your doctor? Or I give them, them a letter to take to their doctor. Work with your clients, you know, and build a good rapport up. Just don't say, I can't treat you. Um, you know, it's always good to have a good rapport with your client. The other thing is, if you can't treat them, they may remember you for your kindness and the way you've dealt with them. And when other people are looking for a therapist, refer them on. I've had that happen as well. I've had somebody that I couldn't treat because because of the illness they got. But they did send me other clients because I did the best I could for them uh, to check that I couldn't treat them and to try and find them somebody that could as well. So, uh, you know, it's always good to know other therapists around and always good to have a good rapport with your clients. So we've talked about benefits and effects and we've talked about contraindications in this podcast and I'll see you in one of the others later on.